Meet Your Maker makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry, and Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to deer IY this fall. This episode of the Flushman Dustin Podcast is brought to you by Hunt Ready. Reliable equipment driving inspiration in the outdoors. And all of their equipment is sourced and handcrafted here in the U.S. of A. Their mission is to build gear that's extremely durable, highly versatile, and ultra-light to further enable your journey into the field, regardless of where the road may lead. So be sure to go out and check out Hunt Ready at H-U-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. That's HuntReady.com. This episode is also brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. They're focused on the safety and comfort of our hunting dogs. We personally carry the Gundog Outdoors first aid kit as it has all of the items that we need to keep our dogs safe in the event of an injury. Be sure to go check out gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNECKS to save you some cash. Hunters, welcome back to another Flushing and Dustin podcast. Tonight, we have Ryan Lohman, uh, also known as Upland Edge on Instagram. Uh, so definitely be sure to go check him out. He uh, <clears throat> works for HuntWise app or is part owner. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit into the podcast. Um, but Ryan, if you could uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit and we'll uh, take it from there. Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, Ryan Lohman uh, in Minnesota up here, mainly upland hunt. Uh, I actually I've only deer hunted once in my life, um, but upland pheasant, sharp tails, sometimes rough depending upon where we're at. Um, but yeah, I work for HuntWise. We are a, we call ourselves the ultimate hunting tool set. We do hunting predictions. We do, um, we have maps, public land layers, all that stuff, property lines, all the goods. Um, I work there as a product owner slash project manager, been there for little over a year now. Um, so that's fun, but yeah, I got, I got a golden retriever kind of like you guys like to run. Uh, and then I got an American Brittany as well. So, um, do majority of my hunting up here in Minnesota, but have, have ventured out, uh, on a few occasions. So, um, I'm excited for this, man. This is fun. Yeah, for sure. How long has, uh, the HuntWise app been around? They were founded in 2015 or 16, depending upon who you talk to. Um, okay. I was employee number 15. And then earlier this, uh, earlier this year or late last year, we got bought out by a company called Kalkamai who does all of the hunter and boater education courses online. Um, so now we're kind of a small business unit amongst like three or four business units with 150, 200 employees. So, um, but the HuntWise crew is still around like 17, 18 people. So it's, it's a, it's a tight knit family and a lot of fun. Yeah. How'd you come across that? Dude, funny story. So I was actually working, I worked for a company called Sports Engine for a while. Um, we, we built websites for use, uh, sports associations. And, uh, I was like, eh, I was kind of getting done with it. I've been there for almost six and a half years and I was kind of getting bored and kind of wanted to pursue something in a passion of mine. And so I reached out to there to HuntWise's VP of engineering and was just like, Hey, if you guys never eat anybody in the product side, project management, anything like that, dude, like I'm in. 
and talked to him on the phone. And six months later, they reached back out and were like, we're ready. And so um, just super lucky, man, just threw my name in the hat and just said, Put, my, put myself out there and they were all for it. And so um, they hired a director of products and then they needed somebody to manage the day-to-day work underneath underneath him. And so that's what, what I've been doing for the past year. Shit, that's pretty legit. <laughs> yeah, man, it's cool. I, working in working in software is what I've been doing since I I didn't even I didn't even graduate college, man. I did two years and then got a job at my company doing customer support and I worked my way up there. And so doing software, uh, just working in software has been a passion of mine. And then I was able to combine it with, with now hunting is quite incredible, man. That is awesome. And sometimes the best way to learn is on the job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No better way. Teach you so much. Exactly. So do they take any advice from you? (laughs) Say that again. That we know which, what to stay away from. Yeah. So there actually isn't that much like in like, like people are always afraid of, of like, if they drop pins and stuff, like these guys get to see where they, where everything is at. And like, no, we don't, I don't get to see anything about any, any, anybody's stuff or any like hot spots or where people are going. But, um, I do know like the amount of pins, I, I do get to see where the amount of pins are. I don't get to see where anything is. So I'm not stealing anybody's spots, but, um, it is cool. Cause when the public land layers do come out, you do see them right away. So not that they're really hidden. They're all public. I don't get to see any back end information that nobody else does, but, um, so it has its perks, but I'm, I'm not stealing anybody's spots. What is, uh, you talked about hunt predictions. On yeah. The app. Can you explain what that means and what, type of calculations i guess you guys are using to yeah absolutely so we have a product called uh, hunt cast and that's kind of like our bread and butter partnered with jeff sturgis on that he's a big whitetail guy here in minnesota wisconsin and, and iowa um and basically it's an algorithm it's we've been primarily uh, a deer hunting app for east of the mississippi so i always like to think the the bigger our, our enemies are west of the Mississippi, big game hunting and all that. And we're east of the Mississippi, whitetail hunting. Um, and so Huntcast takes, we do all predictions for all species, but with, with whitetail mainly, we use uh, barometric pressure, temperature, um, wind, basically anything you can think of that could impact deer movement. Uh, we put into an algorithm, then we give you a score, um, a percentage that says this is the best day to go hunting, or this is the best day, uh, based on these conditions. And then we explain what those conditions are and why they impact it. Um, we, we do, we have like, like I said, we have every species, but the main few that, that the algorithm is heavy on is Turkey deer. And I would say, uh, elk and and bear. So, I mean, you guys are upland hunters, you know, I mean, we can go outside and we say, it's a good day to go hunting. I'm going to go hunting. Like I could find birds no matter what, um, yeah. whether it, the only thing we're really worried about is if they sit tight or if they're going to be skittish. So like, there's not much to predict there. Um, yeah. but with you the guys, whitetail stuff, it's tough. You guys do, I can't remember if it's your app that does the waterfowl, um, type play, uh, like wind and which way you should like set up your decoys and stuff. Is that you guys? We, we actually do not. I have like designs that I could pull up that show us working on that potentially, but no, we don't have that implemented yet. We hope to. Um, but with the amount of resources we have compared to some of the other guys, it's, it's small pickings on what we can do every year. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a pretty, pretty legit app for uh, some people to check out and whatnot, but so we'll get back into, get back and talking to you and uh, what you're about and, whatnot and uh so it looks like your golden is is aging uh yeah man <laughs> how how is it a he or she 
It's a he, Levi. He's Levi. Yeah, he's sitting laying down here behind me. He just turned eight. Um, we got him from a farm breeder for like 250 bucks out of a newspaper ad, um, back when my wife and I had just moved in together. Um, my dad had recently the year before that bought a a brother from a different litter and, uh, no papers or anything. And I'd always grown up with goldens. So seeing another golden come through the house, I was like, all right, this is what I want for us. And we did it. And my dad wasn't ever big about like papers or having the best bloodlines or anything so brought him home man and he's been he's been phenomenal i you never know what you're going to get and you just yeah. kind of got to cater your lifestyle to how you want them to fit in so um he's been awesome but yeah he's eight man he's getting up there yeah for sure did you uh did you start hunting him right away or yeah so i actually still have videos from like the first time we were at the game farm um when he was that would have been the fall then so he was like six months old by, by the time we were getting him on birds and, uh, having, I will say, and you guys know this, having an older dog in the pack, like him having his older brother, who was a year and a half at the time made that so much easier. They see them doing it. They learned so much just hunting with other dogs. Um, so that, that was quite easy transition for us. Yeah, for sure. He's kind of like me. He has an age gracefully. <laughs> what? He has an age gracefully. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he has as much, he has as much as your dog does in my lab, he's gonna be he's gonna be eight, and he doesn't have any gray at all. Yeah, man. He see, he's actually been having gray on his snout since he was like. We look at uh, Snapchat memories of him, like even today, and we're like, "Holy cow, he was so dark!" Like we got questions asking if he was a uh, an Irish setter at some point, just because like of how dark he was. And that gray man, when it hit that face, it spread real quick. And he's got he's got gray hairs down the back, and so um, you could definitely point to genetics for that and saying that, like, well, that's kind of like how you know when a, a good bloodline is there is I would assume aging and, and grayness and the, and the coat probably comes along with that. So um, he's still in his prime though. Like he doesn't tire any easier than he did when he was two or three. So that's good. Um, I'm not looking forward to when that day comes. Hopefully we got another season or two before that happens, but um, yeah, man, he got gray real quick. And everybody comments on that. Is he like nine or 10? I'm like, no, he, he's six. <laughs> and now that he's eight, everybody even continues to ask. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like Nick. Yeah, Nick's been. Oh, you. Nick's been great forever. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, since high school, man. That's crazy. Did you still have your hair though, right? Oh yeah, thirty-five. Yeah. Sort of. Those are some yeah luscious locks. More than Tyler. Hey, <laughs> I prefer mine. Otherwise, I have Smart. like the, I have the old man look where. Half my hair is still there, and half little horseshoe, yeah. little horseshoe in the back. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, what drew you to getting uh, the Britneys in? Yeah. So, my dad's best friend runs, or he did run. Unfortunately, they just passed away last year. Uh, he had a set of of German short hairs, and I always thought it was cool. He he ran beeper calls, beeper callers on them. So, anytime they locked up on point, the caller would start beeping and for about two years, uh, both my dad's dog and my dog, my, my golden picked up on that. And like, as soon as they heard the beep, they were making a beeline to that noise. And I was like, that's kind of badass. Like I kind of want something like that. And then getting into looking into like the certain breeds, we didn't want a big dog and, and a Brittany was kind of, kind of met our requirements. Um, but then funny enough, my dog, absolutely. My dog, he's four, he's a Brittany. He's, uh, he's completely afraid of beeping noises and he has been since he was a puppy. So my like grand plan was to, 
was to do the beeping collar and have my, my golden pick up on it. Like I, like it was before. And that went out the window within the first year, just cause I, I started using that beeping collar and like trying to introduce it to him in the car on the way to the, on the way to run them. And he, uh, absolutely hated it. Couldn't, couldn't get used to it. We have like, if, if a low battery goes off in one of our, uh, um, smoke detectors, all my dogs hate it. So like, it just, it didn't, it didn't work out. Um, they, I run them together for the most part and, and, and it works out, but, uh, my big dream of having that beeper collar and, and having it work out didn't, didn't actually come to fruition. Yeah. How, how has it been learning to hunt from a flusher and then running a pointing dog and how do they work together in the field? Yeah. Like when I first had the Brittany, everybody who I talked to and their mother was like, don't run the Brittany with the golden right away. And I I feel like I hunt a decent amount, but not enough to where like I have enough time to put one away and then run the other one. Like I would feel guilty leaving one in the car. So I was like, screw it. If my Brittany becomes a flusher, he becomes a flusher, like whatever. And you know, I really haven't had issues. My, my Brittany Colt will run 40 to 60 yards just naturally. Um, and my golden will run 20 to 30 naturally. And so I, I don't really call back my Brittany. He's never, I've never not trusted him. He'll, he'll lock up on a point. He'll hold a point till I get there. Um, and so I've never had an issue running them together. And, and if anything, my golden likes it better because he's, he's gotten a little more lazy in the field as far as like just sticking around and he sees, he sees him lock up on point. And when he does, he, he darts over there, but um, he's kind of realized he's taken his role as the retriever and that bird goes down and he's, uh, he's a, I find us to be a damn good retriever. Not many birds get away from us. Um, but yeah, man, it's worked out really well for not a lot of like training them together for per se. Yeah. Did they have many issues when you first started them in the field together or did it just basically go smooth the whole time? Yeah, I, I think I got pretty lucky. I mean, I will say going back, like the first two times I think I had, I had my Brittany out in the field by himself just cause he was a pike. I'm talking like it, I think I got him in the fall. So I didn't hunt him until that next year. So he was a year old first time on wild birds. I didn't want any distractions. It was just me and a buddy. And, uh, he did just fine. And once he held point for the first time, or it was like two times in, in two hunts, um, uh, he held pretty steady and I was like, all right, screw it. Now I'm not, it's just leaving the dog back in the kennel. is just not something I'm, I'm able to do. And I know how much they want to be out there. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. I, uh... The second dog this fall, I'm always debating with Tyler, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What's going to be my key? And how do I, you know, because I'm getting a poodle pointer. So how okay. Do I, how do I put this poodle pointer with my retriever and uh, and go from there? So it'll be, I'm probably going to do what you do. Go out yeah. and the poodle pointer once he's good. Be like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and you guys had another guy on recently that talked about that, right? And how he kind of, how he manages the two, the, the flusher and the pointer in the field together. And he had some decent tips, it sounded like. So I'm obviously not a, a training expert. That guy sounded like he knew more about it than I did. And he took it way more diligently and probably the way I should have done it. But, um, you know, man, I always say like you, you hear some of these guys who talk all about um, the right way to do things. And there's no, the right way is the way you want to do it when it comes to your dogs and how you want to hunt them. So as long as you're doing it the way you want to do it and your dogs aren't causing you issues, just do, do what you do and, and do what you love with them. So I don't yeah. see any issues doing it that way. No, I, I agree with that hundred percent. I mean, every dog's different. Everybody's training yeah. style is different, you know, and at the end of the day, as long as they're getting you on birds and you're enjoying your days of field and 
you know, the dogs are getting to enjoy what they do and you're having a good time with it. That's about all you can ask for, you know? And, yeah. Um, as long as they're not four years or I'll give them three years old and older and bumping birds, then it's all, it's all game. If they're, if they're still a pup, man, I always tell my buddies who get new dogs, I've literally had like three buddies get new dogs in the past three years. And I tell them every time, like, we're not going to care. Your, your dog's six months old. If he runs off and bumps birds, dude, it's no big deal. We we're not out here to shoot the birds. We're out here to get that dog on, on wild game. So, that's, um, that's something that's funny. I talk about all the time. It's always weird. Like, hey, how are we going to do this? We had some, we had some pretty good private land spots. We talked about <clears throat> my dogs, my pups ready to go. We'd hunt our older dogs and get, you know, depending on how many guys we lost three or four birds and then kennel them up, let each one get a retrieve and then come back and let him finish off the, the next two, you know, just to get him, just get him on birds, those wild birds, you know, it makes a huge That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the best thing is, and people give, there's memes about it all the time about, about, uh, dogs who only see pen raised birds and stuff and you take them in the wild and they don't know what to do. So getting, having friends who have access to private land, which, um, which is lucky enough for me, we have access as well. Um, getting that wild bird contact at such a young age is so important for a dog. If you just go to a game farm time after time, there, there, there's only so much you can learn. Yeah. Oh, I, think I, think, I think it meant, I think it means something to have a friend that's willing to, uh, you know, go through. A lot of guys won't kill their dog. Nope. Yeah. I'm hunting. I'm out here hunting. My dog's going, you know, it's not that I don't want your dog, your dog to get birds. You know, I do, but you know, we need to, this is our future right here. So we need to kind of, work him into the group a little bit or her into the group a little bit and get him going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always hard, you know, to, as an owner to put your dog up, but it's also like, it's one day, right? Now, if someone was like every hunt, like, Oh, you got to put your dog up. I'd be like, eh, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, obviously like I said, introducing a, a dog, especially if you're on those prime, if you have like some good prime private ground to get that sure. new dog, some like great work to get some birds that maybe just aren't running wild that we all have to freaking chase after yeah. you know, that are going to sit there and let the dog, you know, whatever you're, if you're hunting with a flusher, if you're hunting with a pointer, you know, let the dog point on it, let it learn what it is. Uh, let us get close. You know, that's, that's just a great experience for such a young dog. Yeah, absolutely. And and with flushers, I always feel like if your if your dog's under a year old, there's no better training than going out on wild birds with people who have other flushing dogs. Like they they'll be like, oh, I don't want him to all he's gonna do is chase other dogs around. It's like as long as those other dogs don't snap back or anything, um, and he's following those dogs, they're gonna flush a bird eventually. And then that pup, it'll snap at some point. Might not be right away, but they'll they'll get that aha moment being like, Oh shit, this is what we're out here to do. Like yeah. that bird goes up and I, I can get that scent. And so um, but yeah, once those dogs kind of understand what they're out there for running them solo and putting your dog up for a half hour, an hour, isn't going to kill you. No. And you got to remember at some point you're going to be the guy that has the brand new dog in the group. So if you don't treat the other person that brings in the brand new dog with some respect and let them work their young dog, then you can't expect that when you have your new dog. You know. exactly there's a cycle to all of it if my dog's yeah. eight and your dog's three or one or two my dog's i'm going to be in your same situation in a few years eventually man for yeah. uh unfortunate reasons but yeah man it all kind of comes back full circle when that happens hey, don't think about this here's a question for you <laughs> retriever Brittany. 
if I have to go out and like for one field, which one am I taking? One dog. I told you not to think about it. You're just supposed to be smart. Uh, my my golden right now. I, he's he's just been all reliable for too long, man. Like, I, yeah, and I know for a fact he'll retrieve. I don't I I don't know if my Brittany if I if I down to rooster if he'll bring it all the way back to hand. He'll he'll try, but I don't know if he'll. Well, I don't even know if he would do that. But yeah, I'm going my golden. He's he's all reliable. Yeah, I should I should play that game with you. What's that called? Yeah. But but the question is, is so it, it goes back to the old it's like choosing which like which one of your kids is your favorite, right? Like, I mean, I guess everybody yeah. probably has one, but still you don't wanna you don't wanna say that I, I love my Brittany's his drive, man, he'll go for he'll go forever, dude. Like he's so much fun to watch. But like I said, the retrieving part, um, I didn't I didn't stress it enough when he was a puppy. Well, I did, but like I, I, I did the tennis ball thing and I learned later on after that, that playing fetch with a small dog with a tennis ball can kind of could end up ruining their retrieving skills because all they want to do is pick up something the size of a ball all day. And when they get out there to a, a rooster and they're like, holy shit, I'm not, I've, I've never brought anything back this big before. Why would I do that now? So like, um, I never stressed retrieving with like a, a, a big dummy or anything on him. And my golden's always been really good at it. So, um, yeah, he's he's Mr. Reliable when it comes to being out there. So I'd have to pick him. Yeah, for sure. And he's in the room with me right now too. So if he heard me say something different, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Can't go piss him off. That's exactly. Sure. Uh, so did you grow up upland hunting? Yeah. So my my uh, dad would bring me out. We have uh, MEA week or weekend out up here in Minnesota. It's basically uh, the second week of the season in October. It's like a teacher's conference week. So I would go out to our family land. My mom grew up out in Western Minnesota out by Appleton. And um, she has five brothers and they, most of them have some sort of land that we're able to hunt. And so my dad would go out there for the full week from opener to the following weekend. And then I would join him halfway through the week, every year growing up, like it was tradition. I'd, I'd sit in the truck, I'd go farming with my uncles, whatever it was. And um, that's kind of how it started. He was, he was strictly like a pheasant hunter. Like he, he's never been any big trips. It's just been kind of like the fun thing to do with the guys. You go out, you drink beer you have fun like he's just super laid back i mean he takes it seriously when he's out there but like he's not the one that's going to be going to hell's canyon to hunt chucker or down to arizona to hunt quail like um so yeah it's kind of how it started and been doing it ever since now i've taken it and become a passion so i'm trying to do those trips and i i try to talk him into being up for it but nothing yet <laughs> yeah have you taken uh, any trips yourself yet or planning any trips um my biggest trip well I wouldn't call it biggest. So last year, my wife, and then our 15, at the time, my 15 month old son, we did a road trip out to Yellowstone and we brought our Brittany with, and we stopped, I think two or three times. And we hunted for blue grouse and rough grouse and the big horns, um, out in Wyoming. I actually met up with a guy through Instagram or the try upland at try upland app actually. Okay. And we met up and he took me out. Um, and we hunted for blue grouse. That was insane dude I, I want to do that again so badly that was super cool to hunt like in a mountainous area we flushed three or four blue grouse never close enough to get shots off um we took pop shots but nothing that was close enough to actually make contact with uh and then we do i do a trip up north to the canadian border every year which is about six to six and a half hours north of us and we go hunt sharp tails 
up in uh, northwest Minnesota. So uh, a very well-kept secret is the, the sharp-tailed grouse population in Minnesota. It's not a secret, but there's, there's sharp-tailed grouse up there. Uh, you can run into woodcock, rough grouse, and sharp-tails all in the same hunt. Um, completely different style than North Dakota hunting, which is where I'd love to get to next. But um, that's kind of a big annual trip every year just because of how far away it actually is. And uh, to be able to hunt sharp-tails in Minnesota is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm never even uh, – <clears throat> we would just hit – hit up Sharpies last year. Um, mm-hmm. We got lucky at a spot out in South Dakota where we found them. But what is, what is the population? I maybe just missed that. What is the population like up in Minnesota for? Have you ever wanted to process your own wild game from start to finish? Meet Your Maker has you covered. Meat makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup, guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry. And Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to Dear IY this fall. It's, it's, so I actually didn't even know about it until about four years ago now. And they had a population in the northwest corner on the border, basically bordering North Dakota and then up to Canada. There's a, a decent sized population. We also have prairie chickens as well, but that's lottery only up there. Okay. So got to be, got to continue. I, keep, I think I have a reminder on my phone to put in for the, for the application this year. Um, and then we do have a very small population in Northeast Minnesota, um, up by the Duluth area, just South of there. And I think last season or the season before it was the both seasons, they didn't have a, a hunting season there, uh, for the first time in a while. So that one's kind of getting smaller, but the one in Northwest Minnesota is, is doing pretty well. Um, it's just completely different cover. They're there are more around trees than they are out West. Like it, they're, it's very different hunts. Like all the, the tips and stuff I listen to on podcasts about traditional sharp tail hunting, it, it goes out the window when it comes to Minnesota. Um, it's just different. It, the, the landscape is as big as North Dakota, but like there's, there's trees, there's willows, they hide in, and thicker cover. So, um, makes it, makes it quite challenging. Yeah. Did, uh, how long is your sharp tail and prairie chicken season? Yeah, so sharp tail goes from the middle of September until the end of October, I think, or the beginning of November. I can't it's remember. It's not too long then. No, it's not very long. And the later in the season it gets, the harder they like damn near impossible to hunt because they they group up and they just they have one one bird on on watch and they get up so far away so we always joke with the locals up there like oh we'll be back we're going to come back up we got to come back up and they're like you won't and you don't want to like the birds won't be there but um it's funny when you go up there man these guys are super small towns and you they're big bear hunting area and so we'll go up there and like get up here to bear hunt and we're like no we're here to sharp tail grouse hunt and you're like you're gonna hunt what and they like, can't believe that people actually like drove all this way to, to go hunt them. So it's been fun to get to know the locals and we stay at a guy's place who we've met up there. So it's really, really cool area. Yeah. How oh, that's cool. Is, it, is he a landowner? Uh, one of them is not very big, but there's, there's so much public land up there. Um, surprisingly enough, like we, you can't, we haven't hit it all in the three or four years we've been going up there and we, I mean, we have spots that we hit, but, um, there's so much public land in Northwest Minnesota. It's kind of crazy. Hmm. What's the, what's the lottery process for the, 
chickens. Yeah. So you go, there's different zones. There's like, shit, there's a dozen or two dozen zones that you pick from. And you, that's, you, you pick one zone, you go in for the lottery and they pick, <laughs> depending upon the zone, there's like five, get that, get picked. And then there's uh, some that have like 24 and the one that obviously has more, there's the, um, I, th I think the ones that have more are a lesser chance or a better chance. I can't remember how they worded on there. I haven't looked this year yet. Um, but yeah, and then you can do a party one too. So where you and like four guys can go in as well and you just rack up points every year. And so um, the last year is my first year. I didn't get it. Hoping there's a good chance for this year because it's, it's not very well known to go prairie chicken hunting in Minnesota. So yeah, um, fingers crossed. Yeah, do you have any bird birds mounted? I personally haven't. I Well, no, I have, I have an albino one in my basement right now. That's from my dad. Um, and then I had another one that I was holding onto from my dad, but I personally actually haven't had a pheasant mounted yet. I'm kind of waiting for like a super abnormally long tail or, um, I'm thinking like, I've been thinking about, and this is so bad because like, I hate thinking about it, but like when it is time for one of my dogs to go like mounting their last bird or doing something with that last bird. Um, but we've, we have seen, there was one, we had a, a leucistic, I think that's how you say it, bird that my cousin, who's a photographer out West caught on camera. She wouldn't tell me where she would tell me what, where she saw it on and, and what, what part of the property it was on. Um, and so I think it'd be cool to get a bird like that. Um, it was just like subtly white on the back, like nothing, nothing crazy, but like enough to where you'd be like that bird that looks a little different. And so if I did, if I either got an abnormally long tail on a rooster at least, or, uh, some sort of coloration on a wild bird, I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. That would yeah. Be pretty neat. I wish I would have done my first sharp tail. I wish I would have done that because we went up there and, uh, this is my first time going up there. We woke up at like 6 a.m. You could hunt at sunrise and we see this flock fly off the, off the dirt road of, across this public land. And we go out there and I shoot my limit in like 30 minutes, like on cloud nine, never shot a sharp tail, never seen a sharp tail in my life and go up there. And within like an hour, I have my limit. Um, and I just, I, in this, in the moment, I just got too excited. We cleaned the birds cause it was about to rain. We cleaned the birds, went to the bar by like 11 cause we got this like nasty storm that rolled in. And after I was sitting at the bar, I was like, dude, why the hell did I not keep one of those birds? It was the stupidest thing in the world. I, I wish I would have kept it, but, um, I think going forward with each new species that I get, that's what I would like to do is get a mount of that's, one. That's what I did, uh, with, uh, last year we caught, uh, or I shot a sharp tail and nice. Uh, no dogs flushed it. We flushed it, uh, actually and Tyler, Tyler's dog actually retrieved it. Uh, Lola did nice kind of those things, you know, well, my dog didn't get it, but I don't know if I'll read it. You know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if I'll get a sharp deal again. I don't know. I'm not Where in South like, Dakota. Were you guys <clears throat> area? Not asking for towns or anything. like, like, like center South Dakota, basically. Yeah. Long, right you can, just say you're along the river along the river and that'll <laughs> that won't give it away or anything but <laughs> it was it was east of chamberlain okay. and then up a little bit from there but okay. uh yeah was, <clears throat> we were we were surprised because normally sharp tail aren't far, found in that area and then actually i even there's a video of it i actually thought it was a hungarian partridge because just kind of how it was flying so i was oh, like sure. oh is that a is that a is that a hun and there's a sharp tail and um yeah, so I'm actually getting mounted by uh, Corey Carthers. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's like nationally known. 
down here in Iowa. I don't, dude. I've heard of so many. Like, I go on Facebook every day, and you see everybody asking for taxidermy recommendations, so they all blend together at that point. But that—that's awesome. Did you, when you guys were doing that, did you have like intentions of going after sharp tails, or was it just like random? Since you said they weren't known for that area. (laughs) No, so we know a farmer up there, and we've been in contact with him for the last four-ish years. Well, he's let us hunt his property all this time. Well, I went to, we went to the piece of property that he always lets us hunt and there was somebody hunting it. Well, here find <laughs> out that it's his, his stepson. He just got married. Oh, and so shit. His stepson was hunting it. So I called him and I was like, Hey, I was like, there's somebody out here. He's mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. That's my stepson. He goes, well, I got a place that I actually don't let anybody hunt. And if you come out here, he goes, I know I've seen some birds out here. So we got there and we saw like two pheasants. Didn't get any of them, but mm. I don't know. A covey of 10, 12 sharp tail were flying around. Yeah, it was a good amount of so, them. Yeah, so, yeah, so we insane. ended up, we, what did we get? Two, two or three of them. I shot one, and then Josh shot one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got two of them. That's uh, awesome, so it was, man. It was, yeah, it was pretty wild. And actually, that was made our, made our trip because it was, I mean, that was better than getting roosters. We could shoot those anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Well, and like, I, I, when you said that you, when you got up and you thought it was something else, I thought you were immediately going to say, I thought it was a hen pheasant. Cause that's what I was like most worried about <laughs> right away. And I didn't know that there wasn't even a pheasant population up where we were hunting sharp tails. And so you can completely tell, like now that I've done it before, you can tell the difference, but like, that's what my biggest worry was that if a, a sharp tail gets up and be like, Oh shit, wait, is that a hen? Nope. Cause you hear them laughing and you can tell by the the size of their tails and stuff. But yeah. So we actually got in uh, a sharp tail is quite a bit bigger than a, the Hungarian partridge, but for uh, sure. When we, I, we got a Hungarian two years ago, yeah. was it Tyler? Yeah. And at first we, none of us knew what that was either. Cause we don't see those in Iowa. I was going to we say, like, you guys have Whoa. a small population, but yeah. And we ended up, it was just one a single, single partridge. That's and so we weird. Up, we ended up getting him. Um, but no, we, we would never shot. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh shoot, shoot. So we shot it and they're like, Oh, okay. That's so, I mean, Is just, that your first you one know, you've seen down there before? Yeah. Yeah. And then last past year, we actually shot a woodcock too. I shot the woodcock. Tyler kicked it up and came across and I shot a woodcock. That was was the first woodcock I ever got too. Yeah. Woodcock are so weird, man. They'll hide in the weirdest places. Um, And you guys, do you guys ever target quail down there at all? I know the population's kind of diminished a little bit, but. If we can find them. (laughs) Yeah. We haven't had any quail. Like, so there was a year. No, I've never heard this story before, but Tyler and I bought new guns a few years back. We couldn't hit shit with them. Well, I went out <clears throat> and Diesel actually put me on three roosters in about 45 minutes. And I missed their, all three of them with this new gun <laughs> I had. So I went, uh, I'm not even shitting you. And they were close too, because he's, yes, he, I, I'll always say he's a pointing retriever. He does, he pulls up and he points and he usually holds sure. it until I get close and then whatnot. Well, he pointed on all these birds and I went up and missed every fucking one of them. So I, I literally quit and walked out of the field, didn't hunt the field anymore, went back and got my 12 gauge because I brought that and I went to a different field and we pulled up and he did like a flashpoint real quick and went in and a bunch of quail got up. And if I didn't shoot three quail out of one flush, yeah, <laughs> yeah You're... with my 12 gauge and I'm like, I can, I, so I can hit these birds that are this small, but a bird, yeah. this big, I can't, I can't hunt, hit it. So Diesel had to have been confused as all get out, man. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, that's awesome. 
so when you guys we we actually have a small population of hungarian partridge as well up in northwest minnesota um surprisingly enough and we we saw them on the we were driving back home we saw them on the side of the highway and they all flushed real quick out of the out of the uh gravel side of the of the paved road and they got up and i was like what the hell was that those are not tweety birds and i was like those were huns like 100 huns the first time i've ever seen huns in my life and they i talked i called the guy who we meet up with a lot up there and he's like yeah we've been seeing them around a lot more lately um so i think we've we've killed woodcock rough grouse and now and sharp tails obviously up there and so maybe maybe a little minnesota hungarian partridge action i think it, i think it's so cool to be able to like kill a vast amount of species in your home state especially if you don't have to like go to, it obviously is fun to go to bigger and better places but to say you did something in your home state i always feel like is kind of prideful and cool so um i didn't know you guys had huns down there at all so that's kind of cool they're more more north 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 towards towards you guys actually yeah yeah because there used to be a small population i think in southeast minnesota by like rochester or something down in that area um so i guess that that makes sense but i wish we had quail man i and i wish iowa had quail because it's a shorter drive to get into as well i can basically i'd have to go to nebraska if i wanted to get into them um, which I would love to, but Iowa would be perfect if you guys, if you guys could get that population up, would you? So we can <laughs> come down there and have more hunters down there. Tyler and I have talked about doing the, uh, what is it, the Nebraska Grand Slam? Is that what it's called? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Called. They do the, yeah. see, the four birds. What is it? Sharp tail, bobwhite quail, pheasant, and then uh, prairie chicken, prairie I think. Chicken. Prairie, yeah. I think it's prairie chicken. Yeah. I think more states should do that. I mean, I think it's a cool thing to get like, to get people out there um, and, and get like, even like the diehards, like I could say to like myself and you guys um, just like something to like, I mean, brag about it. I don't want to say brag about, but just something to like a goal to achieve. Like we all go out and shoot a limit of roosters, not whenever we want, but a decent amount of times. And I think it'd be cool to like for Iowa, you could do a quail. I don't know if you could do huns. Try like, do you guys have any other pheasant? Pheasant. pheasant. It's kind of well, surprising. Maybe maybe, guys... maybe maybe dove, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. I don't know if you want to count that, dove. I, I mean, honestly, if I was going to do something like that, it'd be more for diesel to accomplish it. Like sure, that yeah. Be that'd be like, all right, diesel, we just – we just dominated this shit, so perfect. Yeah, and saying and saying like my dog in his lifetime has retrieved this <laughs> like this amount of species, I think is is kind of cool. So like, yeah. and and it's weird that we could like in Minnesota we could do sharp tail, prairie chicken, rough grouse, woodcock, pheasant. So we could do like four or five, and people like it wouldn't be a detriment to the population. But even states like South Dakota and 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 North Dakota, Montana, like, I don't know. I think those slams are kind of cool. It's a goal for a hunter to set out and achieve, you know? Well, not only that, that might benefit the population too, if you think about yeah. it. Like, instead of, instead of me just sticking with pheasant, I'm like, oh, I got one pheasant. Why don't I try to go for Bob White quail now? Why don't I try to go to Sharp Tail or Prairie Chicken? Exactly. Like, you're kind of spreading it out, um, and now you're chasing one individual bird instead of, hey, I'm going to go pheasant hunt every day. Yeah, it's like this Saturday, instead of going after the same bird I'd go after every weekend, I'm going to go drive two hours this way and try for this and it continues yep. the popular keeps the population yep. alive in other places so, so it that might benefit in states doing doing programs like that actually. i think we just figured it out actually so if they want to if they want to talk <laughs> they can hit us up I mean, <laughs> we'll take that extra revenue we, get, we yeah. can put we can, we can put it in one of your apps yeah there we go <laughs> we can start giving out awards <laughs> the uh it's interesting that you guys have <clears throat> sharp tails and prairie chickens and there's not 
with as far north as you guys are, and there's nothing in Iowa. I, that's like, what I don't really understand, and especially with like, Iowa having ter- history. What's your terrain uh, that they live in like? Is it? I mean, is it prairies like South Dakota? Is it? You know, yeah. So like where we hunt sharp tail, like there's definitely a lot of that prairie, um, for sharp tails it's, but it's, there's, there's places where, um, grass is really high. And, and I'm sure you guys know this. They like, like calf level, they don't like knee level or higher grass. And so there's a lot of that up there. Um, but they've definitely adapted, um, to, to like, we, we found most of our birds, not even out in the open prairie, like along tree lines, um, in willow cover and, and big patches of, of trees. Um, <laughs> And so, or obviously around like berry bushes and stuff as well, but it's just, it's different in the fact that like, if you, if you're in North Dakota, you look, um, you can look five miles to your West and you just see open prairie. And here you look five miles to your, to your West and you see like two miles of prairie and then just wooded area and where you could go hunt rough grouse or woodcock even. So, um, I would just say they've adapted a lot better to the area and they're even in Canada too. I'm, I'm don't know if you got, I'm sure you guys probably know that, but I've watched videos on YouTube of guys up in just North of us hunting them out in like pasture fields up there. So, um, isn't, yeah, isn't it's there different a lot of terrain, wolves but... up North from Minnesota? Yeah. They, in when, North... they, when they kill all those birds or they don't go after I, much. I don't think they go after them as much because there's a pretty healthy deer population up there. And there's actually, you can hunt elk in Minnesota. Funny or funny enough. We have a pretty healthy elk population. I think they pick five to five to 10 people a year, um, to go up there and and shoot elk. Um, but so there's a decent population of deer and and elk up there. Um, we've never seen a wolf. We know they're, they're up there. We've been told about them and we've seen black bear while we've been up there before too. But, um, you know, it's a good question about the wolves eating the Sharpies. I I haven't heard anybody say anything about that, but, um, I I mean, I could see that being, uh, being an issue too, but I think their biggest thing is just getting through winters and springs, just like, just like any upland bird up here. Um, (laughs) And we're having a hell of a spring for rain up here. That's for sure. So yeah, I think we'll it's going to be a healthy, healthy hatch this year based on what we've oh, had yeah. too. Yeah, I it hope so. Not, doesn't seem like there's too much flooding by any means. Not yet, anyway. Well, you got yeah. See, we got hit like two weeks ago out in western Minnesota, where like I think they had like 11 inches of rain in two days, and it was like right at the end. It was like in the middle of end of beginning of may i think is when it was and they had some tornadoes and stuff and so i think that i think it was early enough though uh to where like birds could rehatch and so we're not too concerned yet um it could end up just being perfect for it if it was at the right time because now they've they've had a decent um last couple weeks but it's always scary not just never knowing until like you get out there and scout in like july and august when you if like we go out there and visit family it's always eerie until you get out there and actually start seeing birds flying where you're like, I don't know, man, did that, did that one storm on that one weekend in May, like just wipe them out. And so I hate that feeling. Well, actually, did you hear the derecho that came through Iowa? Yeah. Yeah. We had one. That's, yes. that's kind of what it was up here too. Yeah. So we, uh, we have a couple spots that used to be the home to a lot of wild birds. And last year, those spots, we didn't see any birds really yeah <clears throat> like almost limited out every time we we're there and last year nothing that's so crazy it's kind of crazy like to go in and be like did derecho affect this because it was kind of right in the path yeah so I, I, I mean i have no idea I'm, that's the shitty thing is you just like you don't know like did some sort of predator population <laughs> come in and wipe out their eggs or wipe them out or did they did they 
they don't really pheasants don't really move a ton a ton but like did they just move out of the area was it the rain yeah. like what sucks is you just you don't know which is yeah. frustrating i think it uh <clears throat> i think the derecho helped the woodcock population close to i believe me. that oh, i've I seen that. not last year i didn't <clears throat> i didn't try hunting any but uh this spring yeah, i saw a very good amount of woodcock and the the place that i saw them basically every single tree not not every single probably like 95 percent of every tree was cut off snapped off at like four foot to six foot tall oh really they're all, yeah they're all just flattened um and so i don't know if that has something to do with you know the what the woodcock uh like because there's a lot of new regrowth Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of now uh, <clears throat> small trees growing up, you know, that are skinny and whatnot. There's not any big trees left. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I don't know if that draws them and there's more openings for them. And Yeah. Well, and like the, the biggest thing that we found is is timing too, right? Because they're, they're migrating bird. And, yep. um, we had seen them before going up north, but last year, like it was, it was woodcock paradise up there like i've never seen that many woodcock coming down like every every patch of trees like you're talking about those shorter ones little clumps we flushed woodcock out of i think we killed four to five woodcock that weekend and that i mean that was more than we had seen in prior years so just like timing it too and then having those prime areas and obviously they like a little bit of wetland with it too so if there's a little yeah. bit of water around oh, it yeah, it's all um, there. yeah that's perfect then and and yeah, it's all about timing too. If you get out there, if, if you follow along on some of the migration tracking websites, you can see pretty much where they're at at all times and timing it is, is everything. Have to try it's that crazy to me that those birds, woodcock are migrating birds. Yeah. I, mean, so, I don't know how so they small. go that far. Like yeah. when, when you see them flush, it's like they just flutter like a butterfly. <laughs> you, air, you, know, like, you, you almost feel bad. It's like, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, how do they, it's, it's just, yeah, it's super interesting because where do they go the whole way down? You yeah. Know, like, and I think they migrate at night high, too, if I'm not mistaken. How high they get, like what elevation they're uh, so I was gonna say, I don't ever see these at. birds flying yeah. around. There's, <laughs> well, no, they, there's no Vs of them going down. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they, they migrate at night and they're just above treetop level. Like they're not big, get up there birds. Um, yeah, they're the mainly at. I know you, well, and that's like you said, when they get up, they don't flush quick. Like you can take your time. Like you'd think yeah. a small bird, they get up and like buzz away like a quail, but they get up and you, you can be like one, 1,000, two, 1,000 and yeah. still have a couple shots. And so, oh, that might be too far for Tyler though. <laughs> Nick would wait till point five, 1,000. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, yep, I'm done. <laughs> Won't be much left of it. And I just, I just not to much to begin with. <laughs> We actually flushed one um, out in our the property we can hunt in Western Minnesota. I have never seen one down there. My uncles have never seen one down there. Granted, they're probably never looking for them, but we pushed a grove, a, like a couple acre grove full of trees. And all of a sudden, a tiny one got up and, and sneaked out the one side. And my buddy was like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, it's a woodcock. Shoot it. And his gun jammed. But like the, the places you find them is so weird. And that like Western Minnesota and one random grove patch in the middle of a egg field, like how does you, how do you end up there and hang out there of all places? And obviously haven't seen one since, but yeah, weird little birds, man. Yeah. Have you ever hunted rough grass? 
Yeah. So when we were, when we're up North, we target them a little bit, especially we hunt. Normally we go up there in the end of September and it's normally pretty hot. So during the middle of the day, we'll, we'll cool off in the shade in the woods and, and go after them a little bit. Um, only taking like one dog or two. Uh, and I think we killed two, two or three rough grouse last year. Um, and so that, that was, that was really cool. Um, got my cousin his first one. So nice. yeah, fun birds, but like just super different too. like walking in the wood. I, I don't know. I'm a big open prairie guy. So being in the woods is, is eerie and especially yeah. with a dog who's not used to it. It's, it's fun. It's different, but, um, I'll take the prairie over the, the grouse. Are you woods. just, uh, are you just running your Brittany during? Yeah. And my other buddy has, uh, he has a two or three year old GSP who's, who was trained actually in Northern Minnesota by a trainer who does grouse hunting. So he likes to get, he likes to get her out and that's kind of her prime, prime area of the day. Um, when we do that. So, uh, yeah, flushing dogs stay back when it gets to be like 70, 65 to 75, like I'm my dog, I just afraid of having a heat stroke at that point. Like you can stick around get diesel to go outside when it's that hot he walks out pees and turns around comes right back in yeah exactly and so we we always run into the heat factor which sucks man because i have a golden my two two of my buddies have labs so it's like they they don't do well in the heat um so it's kind of nice to have the pointers and be like all right we'll hunt the we'll hunt the flushers in the morning pointers during the day and then we kind of let them all go to town at night but um yeah, one 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 day when it gets up past that, it's past that seventy eight yeah. degree time. It's no thank you. This this past weekend, uh, my sister was watching uh, my lab diesel, and she has a she has a Gordon setter. Well, anyway, okay. she was like, "Yeah, we let him out, and he'd go out." And she was, "I she can out literally like three minutes later, he'd be at the door." And my dog doesn't bark, but he would bark at them <laughs> because he wanted to back in. Just uncomfortable. Just doesn't like just. I mean, and I don't know if that's just because he's getting older. I mean, he's never used to really be like that. But now it's just like, sure. Nope. It's 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 hot. And going back in, you know. Yeah. Coming like he's got comfortable. He's coming that uh, the house dog now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, they and they know what they like, and I think I've heard too many horror stories, man, of guys who in early season run their dogs and he, their dog keels over in the field and it's like it's just you hear like you hear one story like that and you're like yeah never letting my dog get overheated like i'll be way over cautious before i let that happen yeah yeah it's not worth it not at yeah, all i don't even i don't even really and i've put said this on previous podcasts i don't really like train diesel on set out we'll go on mm-hmm. a mile a two mile walk and yeah. that's it like yep. it's he just does not do well on it yeah, yeah. that's smart yeah. i mean I've been getting up, usually train them at like 5.30 in the morning because at least the past, past couple mornings, it's been like, you know, 58 degrees. Yeah. The sun, you know, there's enough shade to, to chill in and my training spot's literally 100 yards from my house. So it makes it pretty nice. Yeah, it's perfect. I yeah. see you guys up in the middle of the summertime, like early. I'm like, holy, they're, they're, po- they're the story was posted an hour ago. It's, I'm just waking up right now with the, I'll give you guys, I'll give you props, man. I, I, <laughs> Well, I, I also don't time. have a, yeah, it's, it's the true. Only time, you know, like I'm not going to take them out at noon. I took, we took them for a walk tonight. I always take them with my wife and we always go on a walk every night. Whoa. It's the first time I heard that verbiage out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, know, uh, you just get, you just get married, right? Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. Congrats, man. That's awesome. It'll be, well, I don't know when this podcast will air in like a week or so, but this Friday will be a full three weeks. So I guess when this, podcast airs it'll probably be a month probably getting awesome, broken to you know used to no sex 
<laughs> stop, the moment, stop the moment i said i do yeah <laughs> you'll get there oh, uh, that's cool but yeah like i, I i'll run I, I go to we have a local and people are gonna cringe when they hear this we have a local dog park but it is it is massive like it's got a swimming pond in it like i i pull up my app right now it's multiple acres like where my my they basically just go and run and it's it's obviously fenced in but you don't see many other dogs and they have like a, an area specifically for like a swimming pond that you can take them and cool them off in um i know people in the dog world don't like dog parts but when the two that we have around us or that i've been to are like actual places where you can like let your dog run and they can go for like my Brittany will put on three to five miles every time just because how big it is and it's all wooded so he's not running in other dogs um but that being said, that was my, that was my, uh, I had to preface that because I know dog park is kind of hated on in the hunting community. So, um, anyways, we'll, we'll like normal, I have to wake up, get my son to daycare and then we go right away. So it's still, when it's like July, it's still up there between like 65 and 75 some mornings at that, at that time. So, um, always keeping an eye on them and everything and having water with is, is always key, but I'm, it's always in the back of my head, like just keeping an eye on him, especially my, my golden to just make sure he's not acting funny. Um, cause I've, yeah, I've heard too many about those bad stories. So years ago, and I'm not, I can't prove this, but I think, <laughs> um, I had, I had another black lab. His name was Jackson and he was, he lived till he was 14, but dog oh, wow. just wanted to hunt, just wanted to hunt. Just one mm-hmm. So I took him to a pheasant farm and dude was just all out as hard as he could go. And I think I hunted him too long. And then a few weeks later, he actually had an aneurysm. And I think, I think, Oh, I overheated him. And I think that's what caused it. Oh man. That sucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was getting old, but I mean, it was just like, I, that's not how I, cause we were playing. It was one morning and he was playing fetch and he just came back, dropped the ball and laid over on his side and like wouldn't get up. And then he tried getting away from us, oh, man. just r- tried to run away, but then he couldn't anymore. And then man. that was it. And yeah. It was literally, literally like five minutes and it was just over with. That's, that's bad, man. That's too bad. And yeah, like I've, my, it's, my golden's had seizures before. And so he had one at the dog park one time. I don't remember. I don't think it was due to heat. Like he's just, he's had a seizure or two now and then, and, and he's, he's fine now. He hasn't had one in a little while, but um, it's just it's one of those things where you're going through your head. You're like, what is, what is going on right now? Like, why is this happening? Like, did I do something? And I'm sure I can imagine in that moment when you were dealing with that, it's like, Oh, I, was, I, I think, I think it was my fault and I blame myself for it. It's sure. It's, it's bad. I mean, maybe it wasn't, but it makes complete sense to me. <laughs> yeah. And at least, I mean, I, I mean, hindsight, I mean, 14 years old, man, that's a, that's a hell of a run regardless. Like you don't, there could have been an underlying thing too. You never know like what, oh, yeah. what went there. So, I mean, I, I yeah heard it happening to like puppies before too like puppies who didn't train in heat and and that gets that gets tough when when you get out there to like south dakota like super excited it's september 1st first time to get them out and uh yeah man just people got to be careful well it's just one of those things you know that you know they love it right so then you love it too because you (laughs) love watching them and then you want to take them out and do what they love and he was so old i'm like yeah when i go out and do this but then you know uh, hindsight you know probably killed him <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which isn't funny but uh, <laughs> yeah what is your uh what's your golden do when it has the seizures um for him he just gets really tense and like balls up and you can kind of you can tell like like and i'll have we have 
hardwood floor, whatever laminate floor. So like, I know his, like, and you guys get this with your dogs, you know, their mannerisms and you know how they sound when they do things. And so since he's had a, a couple of his has happened on our floor before, like you can, you hear when he's like stretching. I know what it sounds like when he stretches. I know what it sounds like when he's licking his paws, when his, when his uh, nails scrape against it. And so he normally like he'll ball up. And like, I always like freak out if I hear something. Cause I'm like, Whoa, what's happening. That doesn't sound like him. And he'll like curl up and um, he just kind of gets very stiff and they're not like, they're not long. You just, I just get down on the ground. I hold him, pet him. Um, normally give him some CBD oil, which at that point it's probably too late. We just do it because it makes us feel a little better. Yeah. Yeah, And and calms them down. We think a little quicker, but, um, they don't last more than a minute or so. Um, if that, uh, not really like that, he doesn't do anything funky. Um, which, which is good, I guess. Uh, yeah, he, he just kind of curls up and he gets tense. And then like, if he, he, he'll try to walk and he'll just like get kind of wobbly and it's like, it's like, no, dude, just chill. You're good. Like I, I got you. And, uh, so knock on wood, nothing crazy has happened with them, with them, um, when it comes to those, but it's not fun to watch. Like you can tell they're uncomfortable as hell. So yeah, Murph has, he'll have seizures sure. um, <clears throat> every once in a while. And the first one, uh, geez, I don't even know. It was three years ago, mm-hmm. two and a half years ago. And <clears throat> he jumped off the couch and like, basically his back legs kind of like gave out you know oh and really like i'm like oh fuck I was like, yeah i thought he hurt himself yeah so i went and like tried to like lift him up and then he is like you could hear it feels like muscle spasm yeah exactly his legs, you know and uh i was like oh my god what's going and i had no clue what was going on mm-hmm. well he got scared and so like i i just like set him there you know and i'm like didn't really know what to do well he got scared and tried to like stand up and we were right next to the steps he oh, fell no. down the stairs Jesus. i was like oh fuck and so then i like finally like realized what was going on you know it was my first yeah. my first experience ever seeing a dog with a seizure and i mm-hmm. felt freaking horrible um but yeah he'll like he'll drool uh and then his his pupils he like his eyes are just like completely oh black. yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he like he he just wants to snuggle up to you super close during it. And they always say like keep your hands away from their mouths. You know they might bite when they come out of it or something. And I've never had him do. Yeah, he's I'm never really been aggressive at all when he comes out of them. He actually is like um, super like wants to be loved on. Like yeah, affectionate. Just like yeah, like want, like jumping on you, like wanting to you know like just be basically cuddled. I guess you could say for uh, sure. So yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, and Lola, they're out of the same, you know, parents and she's never had one, but And how old are they now? Uh he's gonna be five in August and Lola's okay. four. So okay. and I mean it happens you never know when it's gonna happen. Yeah. Like there's no there's haven't no been signs. able to pinpoint something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought maybe it was, you know, from low blood sugar uh, oh sure or something you know and i asked the vet about that because he would have like sometimes he wouldn't eat uh and then he'd have one and whatnot but the vet's like no it's so you want to be from he doesn't think it's from that and he's like how often does it happen and i'm like i don't know once every four five six months you yeah know? 
Uh, and he's like, well, it's, it's not often enough to put him on any medication. And I've thought about doing some CBD stuff for him just to yeah. like help him calm down. But yeah, we, we, we normally keep that on deck just for, uh, every, uh, we have, <laughs> we have a Yorkie as well. Um, that's a, that's a oh, different God. story. It's a different story for another podcast, <laughs> but, um, he, he has them every now and then too, but he's very, he's, he's a Yorkie. So we give it to him, uh, every now and then, um, just to calm him down a little bit if he's, if we're going to leave him home or something. So we always have some on deck. I, I don't know if it's done, if it does a whole lot, I I've never been able to be like, Oh yeah, you can tell the CBD's kicked in. So, yeah. um, but yeah, man, it's tough. It's tough to watch them do that. And I think it, I've heard it's more likely in goldens and labs and in any other breed. So, um, as far as the hunting dogs go, so just seeing it happen sucks. Uh, but thankfully, I guess for both of us, at least they come out of it just wanting to cuddle and are just, ha it's like, they're happy to be done with it too. You yeah. know, yep. you'll have to connect. He, uh, just left a comment, Dave. Uh, he's been on under 40 yards. I don't know if you follow him. Oh, I've seen his videos all the time. I, yeah. He has uh, Sawyer's one of his, his pups, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah. You have to you have to connect with him, and uh, he goes up to I believe Minnesota and uh, okay and hunt. So absolutely, yeah. I've seen him on YouTube before, man. That's that's <laughs> yeah. cool. He's got some good some good videos. But if you invite him, you got to invite us. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it make it a full on road trip, man. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. So. No, it's uh, yeah. I, we've we've talked about coming up to Minnesota because they open up. You guys open up a week earlier than us. Two, yeah, man. Two weeks. We're we're 15th the second. Normally, we're the second weekend in October. So like this year, it'll be yes. the fifteenth, I think. Um, so how yeah, far that's right. north? How far north do you have to go to get into grouse? Like, oh, that's a grouse. great question. Um about an hour or two north of the twin cities i'd say like you can you can find grouse in like public land areas an hour north of of the twin cities um but like that's going to be hammered by second weekend yeah. like there's not going to be much there anymore so um if you want to get into good good grouse country like two to three hours north of the twin cities um and then yeah we we do pheasant hunting two and a half hours west of the twin cities and so that's right off by south dakota like on the south dakota border basically oh nice so okay that's awesome. Yeah, man. You guys want to get on pheasants like, earlier than you can, man. We got like four, three to 400 acres of land that we hunt. Um, and then there's public land all around too. So we got plenty of it. Do you have any Airbnbs next to you? <laughs> we actually, funny enough, we do. And I've used it once for a bachelor party and we're using it again this year for a golf tournament. And it's like, it sleeps it's like 15 friendly. people. Uh, Ooh, that's a good, that's a good question. I do not know. They have a garage though, that, yeah. that, that works too, but no, we normally stay, my, my dad owns a camper or like a, a trailer. And then we have uncles that we just crash on couches with and stuff. So nice. we bring, we bring a pretty big crew up for opener. And then after that, it's kind of like onesie twosies as far as who likes to join after that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to get up and <clears throat> get on some minnesota birds since it yeah man because yeah, it'd, be, it'd be about five to six hours because minnesota for me is the twin cities mall of america is like three hours for me got it okay we'll get we'll connect so, offline and get some more yeah. see where it's closer to so that way you don't give out your spots yeah absolutely and southwest minnesota <laughs> is a great spot for pheasant hunting too i've actually never been down there but i got buddies who go down there every now and then and and public land is is vast and and there's a lot of birds too so that, that's a good spot yeah nice awesome. yeah 
Well, Ryan, we appreciate you coming on the podcast, talking about those Minnesota birds and uh, just talking about your hunting career and growing up and uh, getting your dogs and all that yeah, good stuff. And, uh, be sure to check out the HuntWise app and uh, you know try to give that some support. Yeah, man. Yep. If anybody wants a membership or anything, let me know. We're not huge, obviously, in the upland game. The those who we will not name are the obviously the, the big guy. But um, if anybody wants to try it out, I'll hook you up with a membership. We we love all the feedback. Um, and yeah, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is fun. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Awesome. You have a good night. Sweet. You guys too. Appreciate Better it. Take care.